Yeah, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's great to see new faces and, uh, and then see some old faces. I'm talking old, uh, some of the faces I'm looking at. But anyway, uh, it's really great to be back in Cedra Woolley. And uh, it brings back a lot of memories. Um, when Christ the King began in Cedra Woolley, we started up at Cascade Middle School. And uh, we had some great times there. And uh, I don't know if you know the history here a little bit, but I'll just give you a brief synopsis. Sam Middlebrook uh, was our worship leader in Burlington, and he came over and was leading worship in Cedar Woolley as well. And there came a day where he said, you know, I, I, his dad's a pastor. He had never been a pastor. And uh, he said, you know, I, I feel like God's putting on my heart to pastor. And uh, he ended up becoming a pastor at Christ the King in Cedar Woolley. And I don't know if you've followed his journey now. He has planted a church in Yakima that is thriving. And uh, it, it was the context here that kind of gave him a chance to do that. Sam was uh, befriended Mark Collins. Mark had been a school principal, pastor's kid, never had been a pastor before. And uh, Sam just felt God's call uh, on his life and felt God's call on Mark's life and said, Mark, well, here's the story. Mark said to Sam, hey, I wrote up all this information about prayer. I'd like to give it to you. Maybe you'd like to teach this sometime. And Sam did the CTK thing. He says, maybe you should teach it sometime. And so Mark taught a six-week series on prayer and got bit by the bug, the pastoring bug. And Sam so graciously said, Mark, you should pastor. And so Mark became the pastor here. He had never pastored before. And then you know how John Skiffington, some of you probably are familiar with the more recent history, John Skiffington came here. And, uh, and then David also has never pastored before, uh, has been a worship leader, felt God's call in this way. And I don't know if you know this, but God is incubating leaders here in this group. I mean, you guys have a, a special place in the kingdom of God. What you're able to do and the blessings that you're able to give to a pastor and give them a chance to grow into this. We have so many pastors leaving the ministry. And to think that there's places where pastors are entering the ministry. Amen? I mean, aren't you glad to see this? And uh, David has some characteristics that I, I want to be, be like him when I grow up. Uh, like one of the things is, you know how, it's, how, how Jesus talked about, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. David is a pure in heart guy. I mean, what you see is what you get with David, and it's pure. There's not a lot of mixture in there of other agendas and things that are going on there. It's just he loves God, and he loves people, he loves the church, he wants to see it grow, and it's all pure. And the other thing I love about David is he's very intentional in what he does. He's very thoughtful about it. There's a purpose. There's a meaning to it. And uh, when I walk in here today and I see how things are laid, I'm going, okay, that's David's mind at work. And you're blessed by that. And I hope that you'll take the blessing of that and rejoice in it because every pastor has certain things that they bring to the table. And obviously, we don't bring everything. But you got to rejoice and celebrate and build on the good stuff that God is doing. And, and David has some awesome characteristics that are going to flourish here amongst you. So I'm, I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to... To, to see you here today and, uh, and to just be able to worship with you today. It's a, a great privilege to do that. Um, I, 
it would seem like this would be a, a, a weekend where I wouldn't be doing as much because normally I teach three times in Burlington, but just one service here and then as God worked it out. Uh, this afternoon, I'm, I'm teaching at City Point Church in Mount Vernon, and then tonight I'm teaching up in Concrete. So the day that seemed like the day off, instead of preaching twice, I'm preaching three times. So God has a sense of humor in all of this. But uh, anyway, it is... Uh, of those three, this is the one I've been looking forward to the most, and uh, just to be able to revisit you and uh, see what God's doing here. The passage of scripture we'll be in is Ephesians 4, and it's one of the best in the Bible about relationships. This Built Strong series has three parts to it, Built Strong in Christ, which I I believe that uh, Cliff Tadema will be here uh, next weekend to talk about being built strong in Christ. Uh, David's going to be speaking about Built Strong in Battle. That'll be the third week of the series. Uh, Today, I get to commence firing on this and built strong in relationships. And the book of Ephesians is one of the epistles. The epistles were written by the apostles and written to Christians and to churches. And Christians are people. And churches are full of people. And therein lies the problem. I think within the people side of life lie all the problems and the possibilities. Wouldn't you agree that all the problems we have are basically people problems? I mean, sometimes you just got to go, people, because they can drive you crazy. Some people would say, oh, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. And uh, just turn to your neighbor right now and say, I know the problem. It's you, right? Because... That's basically the truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's not nothing but the truth. People are also the possibilities. I mean, the greatest joys that we can ever experience in life, the greatest happiness also comes from people. And in the scripture, there's a dream. There's, there's a vision of what things could be like, even as a group. And, and, and the dream is as a group that we would be unified and powerful. And in that progression, powerful in the end, but unified first. And God has a dream for both. We can make the dream come true. First of all, when we live up to our calling. This is where verse 1 begins the chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. God's dream of a unified body happens when we, first of all, live up to our calling individually. I mean, we're never going to be more as a group than each of us bring to the table individually. God has a calling. God has a dream for your life. God has something that he has in mind for you. When he called you, he called you for a purpose. And when we live up to that, now think about this. If everyone in this room lives up to the ultimate vision and dream that God has for us as individuals, think about the group we will be. I mean, we can't be greater as a group than we are as a sum of the parts, right? I mean, If we're going to be a loving church, I have to be a loving person. You have to be a loving person. I mean, if we're going to be an outreaching church, I have to be an outreaching person. I mean, there's no such thing as this church being something different than we are. So first of all, we have got to live up to the limits of our spiritual design. This is how we become a unified body when we first of all take our calling seriously. Like when we think about unity, if you think about a hundred pianos and we say, well, I want these all to be tuned and you start to tune one piano to the other piano, it's never going to work out right. You're going to have little discrepancies that are going to magnify over time. But if all hundred pianos are tuned to the same 
tuning fork, and I guess they probably don't even use tuning forks nowadays, probably some electronic gizmo. But if the same gizmo tunes every one of those pianos, then we're going to have unity. Or think of it this way. All of you are a string. And if you're tuned up together, then we can be a chord. And then God can play the music. But first, we all got to be tuned up. We've got to live up to the calling that we have received. I think that's the first step in becoming a unified body. Second, when we're completely humble and gentle. Verse 2, be completely humble, be completely gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility is a prerequisite for harmony. And I'd say humility can be summarized in this phrase. It's not about me. The, The humble person isn't necessarily the person who doesn't brag. Because you can not brag and yet have it all be about you. I mean, your whole perspective, the way you look at life, the way you look at church, the way you look at others, it's all about you. And pride would say, it's about me. Humility says, it's not about me. When you get two people together who are sincerely thinking it's not about me, it's hard to have a fight. Because they're so interested in the other person's point of view. They don't see me, they see we. And so they're so interested in the other person. They're so desirous. They're saying, tell me more, tell me more. And it's, it's hard to fight. And if you can just reverse engineer a fight, at the very back of that, and somewhere back there, is pride. You can just mark it down. In fact, the scripture says pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. You reverse engineer a fight, you get back there, somebody is proud. Somebody's thinking, it's about me. Somebody's thinking that. On the other hand, if you reverse engineer unity, what are you going to find back there? Humility. People saying, you know, I'm going to be completely humble. This is not about me. Third, when we make every effort to stay united, we can become a unified body. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Why aren't we more united? Well, maybe because we're not working that hard at it. It actually takes some work. You have to do it. It'll work if we will work it out. But we have to do the work. The inspiration follows the perspiration. It's not easy to go to a person who has said something that ticked you off and have the conversation. I I call that work. I I call that effort. You know what's easy? Just walk away from that person, not have anything to do with them again. And that happens far too often. What if we were to do the work? What if we were to do the work of forgiving the person who has hurt us? Is that work? You know, Jesus said 70 times 7 type work. I mean, sometimes there's multiple facets to an injury. Sometimes people have been so hurt, and the context of that is so nuanced. That it's not just one thing. I, I liken it to a disco ball in a room where as it turns, you know, you see different facets. Sometimes you say, well, why am I still angry when I thought I had forgiven? No, you forgave that facet, but today you wake up and there's a new facet. And then tomorrow you wake up and you think of something else. And these are all one injury, but many different details of those injuries. And so this is why we have to become a forgiving person. We have to say, God, as you bring any new facets to my mind, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to do the work. 
Fourth, we become unified when we remind ourselves that there's really only one story. In Ephesians 4, verse 4, he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. There's only one story. It's God's story. We're all in it. I mean, sometimes we think, well, I have my story. You have your story. No, not really. We're both in the same story. And there is only one. Then fifth, we achieve unity when we validate the varied gifts that God gives. Verse seven, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Every single one of us have been given something special. It's a grace. It's a gift from God. And then he gives an example in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. God gives us these amazing gifts. These are gifts that are in us. These are gifts that are to us, but ultimately these are gifts that are through us. And we don't all have the same gift. And we need to validate that. And in our context here, we're trying to bring people together and all their gifts to be one body. In fact, here's our mission. To create an authentic Christian, and then catch this word, calm unity. We want this unity to be around Christ. As I was worshiping this morning, I was thinking how sweet it is to worship in an authentic Christian community. I mean, as I was watching these people play and worshiping along with them, I felt there's a genuineness in this place. We don't have to be somebody we're not. We don't have to fake each other out here. We can be truly the people that we are, worshiping the God we know. We get to be an authentic Christian, calm unity. Calm is the common. We all have this in common, Christ. There, there's a wisdom, actually, to this. There's a wisdom to the Christ the King story. And I would say the summary of the wisdom is this. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's very difficult to stay unified unless we keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, we have different gifts. And there's different people here in this room. I mean, a wide variety, right? And, and we come from different backgrounds. We've had different experiences. And we have the same Jesus. This is what makes it possible. <laughs> this is what makes calm unity possible. We want to be an authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people with love, acceptance, and forgiveness so that they may experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. So God has a dream of a body that's unified, it's working together as one unit, and it's carrying out a mission. And I would say I do too. I have a vision of that. I had a guy sit down with me for coffee the other day, and I thought that I was there to help him. And, uh, and he, I love how God does this sometimes. I mean, the purpose of the meeting doesn't end up being the purpose of the meeting. But we sat down, and at some point, he stopped, and he goes, um, hey, you know our church? And I, I said, yeah. He goes, uh, it seems to me that we're about 60% of what we could be. And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, you know what else I think? I said, no. 
he says, uh, I think you're the perfect guy to get us to 100%. Now, when he said that, I wasn't thinking that. Honestly, it was one of the more discouraging weeks that I'd ever had in my life when he said those words to me. Uh, I, I had seriously thought about quitting that week. In fact, my wife and I had had a conversation. We thought, you know, maybe Easter should be our last Sunday. Maybe, maybe I should be done. Maybe this is the end for me. And we were seriously talking about that. It was the next day when this guy said, hey, you know our church? He said, I think you're the guy. I was like, wow. I think these are words from God to me. I want to think about your story here as part of that. I mean, are we 60% of what we could be here? Maybe. I think you're the perfect people to get us to 100%. I think if we will live out this unified body, this unified story in this community, it will become then a powerful body. Because that's not where the dream ends, just with unity. It goes on to say that the dream comes true of a powerful body, first when pastors do their job. He was right about this, not necessarily about me, but about the pastor's role. He was absolutely correct. That how do we get from 60 to 100% pastors? What is their job? They only have one job, which is kind of like saying a mom only has one job (laughs) to raise these kids. I mean, it's super multifaceted. But the pastor has one job, and it's in verse 12. Pastors are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. How do we become this powerful body? How do we get from 60 to 100%? Well, pastors have to do their job. And this word here, prepare, it's, it's a net mending term. It go, comes from fishing days where they'd come in from the seas and the nets would be all tattered and torn up and in strings. And somebody would have to sit down and take those nets and put them back together again that they could fulfill their purpose. And same way with you. You guys come in here, you're tattered, you're beat up, you're broken. And it's a pastor's job to take those broken, tattered strings and start to tie it back together so that there's purpose, so that there's function again, so that you can be who God designed you to be, created you to be, and uh, you can fulfill that. So pastors have a job to do. If we're gonna become this powerful body, we've gotta be unified and then pastors have to do that. Then the people have to do their job. And the pastors are people too, so they get to be involved in this. But verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith. I mentioned that there's a wisdom in the Christ the King story that, that we keep the main thing, the main thing. One of the things I've said through the years is it's a good thing that there are Pentecostals at Christ the King. Otherwise, we'd be Baptist. And it's a good thing that there are Baptists at Christ the King. Otherwise, we'd be Pentecostal. Right? That's the wisdom of saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. What allows Christ the King to be powerful is this vision that we have that Christ is central. One of the early church fathers said, in essential matters, unity. In non-essential matters, diversity. In all matters, charity or love. No matter what we're talking about, we need to be having a loving conversation about it. But then there's a bunch of stuff we talk about that we have different 
opinions. You say potato, I say potato. And, and we're okay. You know, it's a non-essential matter. In essential matters, there's unity. And so as he talks about this unity, it's all reaching unity in the faith. I, I'm a big college basketball fan. And uh, I, I follow the University of North Carolina. And my son roots for Duke. So if you know anything about that, I mean, these are bitter rivals. They're eight miles down the road from each other. And, and uh, they're both usually very competitive. This was Duke's year. They just won the championship. And I think next year will be Carolina's year, I hope. Um, but one of the founding or legacy coaches of, of University of North Carolina was a, a man named Dean Smith. And he had what he called the, the Carolina way. And the Carolina way was three phrases, play hard, play smart, play together. Kind of encapsulated the way they wanted to do this game of basketball. They wanted to play hard, they wanted to play smart, they wanted to play together. Well, I think there's something about playing smart that comes into the Christ the King story right here. How do we play smart? We know that the enemy loves to do a couple of things. Slander and divide. I mean, he's got a playbook that actually isn't that sophisticated. He seems to run the same place over and over. That's what he likes to do, right? So knowing that, we're going to say we're going to play smart. And by keeping the main thing the main thing, we play smart. We allow things that are on the edges or along the periphery. We, we allow those things to to go. We don't have to all unite on everything, but we do unite on the main thing. So this is what we've got to do. Second, we've got to achieve maturity. Verse 13 says, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Spiritual maturity is different than spirituality. Being spiritual, I think, just requires you to depend on God in any moment. Okay, so in any moment of any day, you can be a spiritual person just depend on God. Listen to him in that moment. Seek to follow him in that moment. Do his will in that moment. Stay connected. Jesus said, abide in me. Remain connected to me. That's spirituality. Maturity happens when we string so many of these moments of dependence together over time that it becomes easy and natural. So when you're a young believer, you sometimes have to think, oh, wait, i got to depend on God. But when you've depended on him over and over and over and over, pretty soon you don't even have to think about it. It becomes your reflex. Like I think about CPR training. Some of you have, have done it. But if, if one of you keels over here in a moment, some of I hope that doesn't happen, but, uh, but some of you would go, okay, I've had CPR training. And, and you might run over, get on your knees, and go, okay, no, wait a second. What am I doing here? Am I blowing? Am I sucking? Am I pushing down? Am I pulling? What, am I plugging the nose? What am I doing here? Others in this room, maybe because they're in medical field or maybe they're a first responder, they've had so much training, they've had so much practice, they've had so much experience that they don't think at all. They just drop to their knees and they do it, right? This is what we want to get to as a group where all of us instinctively do the Jesus thing. It just happens. Not because we're thinking about it. It's just because we've disciplined ourselves so many times to depend on him that in any moment 
We just do. It's our default response to be Christ-like. And then third, when we become Christ-like, verse 13, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I would add these three words, as a group. I don't think any single one of us are going to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But in this room is represented all of Jesus. Because he's talking now as a group. He's saying, you will as a group attain. There is in this room the wisdom of Jesus. There is in this room the caring of Jesus. There is in this room the, the, the grace of Jesus. I mean, all of this is present. And as a group, in Cedar Woolley, we can be Jesus. People can run into us and go, wow, I think I've run into Jesus. People can come in here and go, wow, I think I'm in the presence of Jesus. Not because any one of us are so great, we're all living up to our potential, but as a group, then together, what we can become is this, the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then fourth, being truthful and loving. As we're becoming this powerful group, it's, it's truth and it's love together. Then it says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, okay, so here we've got a choice to make. We could do the manipulative kind of leadership style or communication style where we're scheming, where we're trying to get people to do things. Or it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we can grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. In my reading in the Bible this morning, I was in Second John. And it occurred to me again how often in the New Testament it's spoken of that there are going to be people coming who are going to try to disrupt. And, and they're, going to, they're going to create problems. You know? and, and this is the other part of the story. This is the inverse of what we're reaching for in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is saying we're going to reach unity in the faith. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. We're, we're going to be humble completely. We're, we're going to grow together and be this powerful group for, for Jesus. And then you got other people who are going, no, it is about me. Now, they might put flowery language around that. Uh, they might present themselves spiritually, but it's about them. And, and it's going to be divisive. And it's going to be a problem. How do you address that? I think, and I've experienced a lot of it in this last year, painfully so. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff that I've been going through that I already shared about, I mean, that makes me want to just go, God, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with this, you know. And I think sometimes we get there. But the antidote, what, what will solve this, the cure for this disease, the instead, okay, truth and love. <laughs> truth and love. Truth and time walk hand in hand together. And over time, we get to see the truth. And, and hopefully as we present the truth with each other, it's always in love, always in this context that first of all, you got to know, I love you. They don't know that. <laughs> People don't care what you know until they know that you care. But when they know that you care, that this is a high commitment to love, but we're not neglecting the truth, we're going to share that. That's when we become powerful 
And then fifth, it builds itself up. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. The goal is to not need a pastor. Now, you start out needing a pastor. I mean, you come in, you're tattered, you're broken, you're torn apart, and you need a pastor. I mean, a pastor is definitely needed at that point. But I think the goal is, maybe a similar goal as some of us have as parents, that at some point our kids would get to a point where they don't need a parent. Now, my kids have not gotten there yet. (laughs) They're in their adulthood. They have not gotten there yet. And maybe they never really do. And maybe that's the same thing in the church, too. Maybe we always do really need a pastor. But but the goal, I guess, is to say, how do I become self-sustaining? And the body builds itself up in love. You know, eventually, you look around and see the tattered and the broken. And you say, yeah, at some point, God helped me put the pieces back together. And now I'm looking around. The body starts to do the work and reach out to the broken and the tattered and build itself up in love. And then number four, number six, I guess, from chapter four, verse 16, as each part does its work, this is what we do to become powerful. We do the work. You say, what is the work? I think it's people. In God's economy, the work is people. You know those people that we said, people. Yeah, those people. That's the work. We build them up. We repair them if they're broken. We include them. We become this powerful force because of the impact that we have on people. I had this guy come right after a service a couple weeks ago he pulled me aside and he says you know what's important in a church he said safety he wasn't talking about fire exits and smoke alarms and stuff like that he goes you know when people come in they want to know this one of the questions I think people are asking is is it safe and I've been thinking about that ever since because I I don't know for some reason I never heard that said that way, but now that I have, I don't think I'll ever forget it because that just rings true to me. And I've been talking to our staff. I've been talking to other pastors. Everywhere I go, I'm talking about this. Hey, think about this with me. Safety. What goes into that? What makes it possible for people to come into a place and had a lady get baptized a few weeks ago and she she's actually a traveled the world. I mean, she has been a a very important person, I guess. I mean, she's she's a musician, and uh, she's been touring for eight years with Taylor Swift. So she has been on the front row for a lot of what's happened in pop culture. She was sitting there when Kanye West went up, you know, and kind of stole the limelight. This gal was the one who stood up in the crowd and started clapping for Taylor and kind of changed the whole dynamic. I mean, she has been in these places. She's been all over the world. And and then, you know, on Easter, she was at Christ the King and said, you know, I want to get baptized. And she had this moment where when she came up out of the water, I mean, she was radiant. I mean, I think she had just felt like 
it was time to change her whole life, to follow the Lord. She said when she got in her car, and she hadn't come prepared to be baptized, so she got baptized in her wedding, her, her Easter dress, you know, and she was soaking wet, but she got in her car, and she laid the program down next to, on the seat, and she looked down there, and it said, always a place for you. And later that day, she contacted me, and she goes, you know, I'd seen those words before, always a place for you, and I realized today in a new way what that meant. This is always a place for people who need forgiveness. This is always a place for people who need that second chance. Who need to start over with Christ. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're safe here. There's a lot that goes into that safety. It's It's a spirit of inclusion. You know, including people. You know, there's some churches where if you believe, you can belong. You know, Christ is king. We've said, no, you can belong so that you can believe. We said, you can belong first. That's special. That's different, especially if you're hurting. If you're a broken person, man, you, you're scared to walk into a church, but to come into a place where people are going, you know what, we love you. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far or how fast you've run from God, we love you here. And you're welcome here. And so that was, uh, I think, a great reminder. Always a place for you, which really speaks about safety. But God has this dream of a body that is doing the work, but it's a unified body first. I have a dream of this body that's doing the work, but it's a unified body first. I'm hoping you have a dream for a body that's doing the work it's unified body first. And what a lot of this boils down to is this. Unconditional love. Receiving it and expressing it. Unconditional love. Such a powerful concept once you get your head around it that I can love somebody, period. With no expectation, I might not get anything back. As, as a spouse, as a husband, you can do this with your wife. If she's not treating you well, you can make a commitment to love them unconditionally. I'm just going to love, 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 period. No expectation. You can do this with your kids. Sometimes our kids, we don't even like our kids, much less love our kids. But you can just go, you know what? My love for my kids is unconditional. It's no matter what. It's, it's love, period. I'm just going to love, 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 love. We can, we can do this in the community. And, and where this gets really powerful is when a group of people come together to do it. That group cannot be stopped. That group will change the world. That, that group will make an impact for eternity. I was at a funeral yesterday, you know, Josh Ellis, and, and uh, the, some of you know him. And uh, one of the things that came to me from that very tragic accident, you know, the, the bridge, part of the bridge collapses on this young family, husband, wife, and a baby. I mean, talk about a lightning bolt. I'm just going... What a crazy, crazy thing that happened there. But 
one of the things I was talking with somebody afterwards, they, they came forward. There were 800 people at his place church. And this was after 900 people had gathered down at Bonnie Lake for this couple. This is a young couple who loved. They loved well. And somebody afterwards said, you know, it really helps to remind us of how powerful it is when we love well. And I said, yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to convince people of that. But I'll tell you, the great proof is this funeral right here. You want to have a huge impact? You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be well organized. You do have to love. And God wants to do that. God is doing that right here. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for the love that's in this room. Um, So many people here are so good at it and uh, so much better than me at it. But I'm glad to be associated. I'm glad that I can learn and that we all can grow together in this. Lord, I just ask that this church, this particular expression of your body here in Cedar Woolley would be especially characterized by this. You said they will know that you're my disciple by the love that you have for each other. So Lord, I pray that this would become well known, that this would become the way that this church becomes known is by its love. Thank you for David and his leadership here. Thank you for calling him. Thank you for helping him to equip this group, to put those pieces together so that this group can fulfill its potential. And we pray, God, over all the dreams that you have for this body here in Cedar Woolley. Lord, I pray that every single person will, first of all, just walk in their own dream, the dream that you have for them personally. May we all live up to our spiritual potential so that we can be this united and powerful force of love here. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.